Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and use our promo code BLEAV. That's B L E A V. To receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online where the game starts. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Jeremy Evans, and this is the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Today is Monday, May 30th, 2022. Happy Memorial Day to everyone out there, and uh, a special thank you to all the military veterans, those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country and uh, for their families and, and, um, and just really appreciative uh, of this particular holiday. So we have a very special episode. This is episode 22 of season four. We have four special guests with us today. We have Kirsten Beck, who is the executive vice president, general counsel at Cronkey Sports and Entertainment. She is based out of Denver. So she oversees the Cronkey Denver properties, particularly uh, the Colorado Avalanche, which is the um, uh, NHL team, uh, and then obviously the Colorado Rapids, which is the MLS team, and then um, the uh, Denver Nuggets as well. And, uh, and of course, Kroenke has the Rams as well, but she oversees the, uh, the Denver-based or sort of Colorado-based properties. And then we have Jennifer Yuen, who is a sports and entertainment attorney. She is the executive director of business and legal affairs at G4, which is a uh, gaming studio. Uh, she has a lot of experience with the Court of Arbitration for Sport or CAS and the International Chamber of Commerce, uh, ICC. And then we have uh, Zach Kurtz, who is the sneaker law attorney. He is the founder and managing attorney at Sneaker and Streetwear Legal Services. He is based out of uh, New York City. And then we have Hakeem Anafawoken, who is the vice president of corporate legal at Oklahoma City Thunder, which is, of course, the uh, NBA basketball team based there in Oklahoma City. So, again, thank you. Big thank you to Hakeem, Jennifer, Kirsten, and Zach for joining us today on um, this week's podcast. So we have uh, three very special guests with us tonight. Uh, we have uh, genuine who is um, a Southwestern Law School graduate uh, and a very accomplished attorney. Uh, she um, has had a couple different stops during her, her illustrious career, but she is currently executive director for business and legal affairs at G4. And uh, G4 is a... Um, Really, it's it's a gaming company, uh, very well known in the space. And uh, Jen, how long have you been at G four now? Um, almost six months. Yeah, that's right. That's Started right. Started there in November. That's right. Um, but Jen is just a really good friend, really good person, and um, and very well known in the sports the sports business. And so, just happy that she's with us tonight. So that's Jen, and then we have uh, Kirsten Beck, who's calling all the way from Boulder, Colorado. And uh, she is the um, executive vice president, general counsel of Kroenke Sports and Entertainment. And of course, if, if folks are not familiar, uh, which you probably are, is Kroenke, Stan Kroenke is the owner of um, the Los Angeles Rams and a few other franchises. I think with the Colorado Rapids, it's at the Avalanche as well too, Kirsten. So my purview is the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, the Colorado Rapids, and the Colorado Mammoth, which is the lacrosse team, all the venues, 
esports, and I won't get into all the other business things. I'm the kitchen sink of the Cronky entities, so I do a lot more than just sports. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're you're overseeing everything of EVP and GC. I mean, you're 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 looking at every type of agreement and every type of business. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, uh, we have uh, Hakeem Anafawokin. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I'm feeling good about myself. Um, <laughs> so we have uh, Hakeem with us. He is uh, the vice president uh, corporate legal at the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then so uh, obviously calling all the way in from Oklahoma. So thank you both for being here. Um, I know that you guys are, um, let's see, uh, Kirsten, you're what, an hour ahead? And then Hakeem, are you two hours ahead? Yeah, that's correct. Oh boy, we got to get you, we got to get you guys, we got to get you guys out of here, man. It's too late already. <laughs> so um, so let's start, start with you, Jen. If you could just give us a little bit of your background, um, how you got into sports, uh, so maybe talk a little bit about some of your stops along the way, and then what you're currently working at, uh, working on at G4. So I really started in sports when I was 10 years old, started figure skating, and I was a competitive figure skater for many, many years. And then once I hit law school, I think a lot of people, once they hear my athletic background, they assume that, oh, I immediately thought of going into sports law but I actually didn't. Uh, I was a first-gen lawyer, first-gen college grad. So when I went into law school, I really tried to keep my options open and really explore various opportunities, which was lucky for me because the economy crashed while I was in law school. And I only ended up being fortunate enough to work in sports because when I graduated, I connected with uh, Jeff Benz and he was also involved in figure skating and had been with the U.S. Olympic Committee as general counsel and so he turned out to be a really good mentor and he was at a place where he was starting his own firm at the time and so I joined that and it gave me the opportunity to work on a lot of sports business in the Olympic movement. So I did some anti-doping cases worked with um, emerging federations, worked with startup businesses, learned civil lit litigation, and, and really got a wide range of experience, which I thought was you know really valuable early in my career. And then just this past November, I switched to being fully in-house. And so now I'm, as you mentioned, executive director of business and legal affairs at G4 TV. I am the head of the legal department of one currently and you know our content is focused on the gaming space on esports and pop culture and so i do a good a mix of what most people would consider to be both sports and entertainment so we are involved with esports licensing that kind of content and also doing a lot of production in-house so there's a lot of day-to-day -day production work and day-to-day -day production clearances that i am dealing with and that's about where I am right now. I love it. No, thanks, Jen. And I appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, and then Kirsten, how about to you sort of, uh, what, what's your, what's your background and, um, what are you currently working on, uh, at Cronkey sports and entertainment? Well, I'm a funny one when it comes to sports, cause really I'm an attorney. So I spent 23 years practicing law. I was Cronkey's outside counsel, which is why I'm here. Um, I'm really a business attorney, so I've spent almost my entire career in private practice, and I represented folks just like Cronky, in fact, actually them, and that's how I got the job. So I started here about 16 months ago, um, and I assist, obviously, so I'm getting up to speed still on a lot of the sports components of it, but really, I'm a business attorney. That's, that's how I got here. That's why they brought me here. And that's really the aspect of what it is that I assist on um, when you kind of look at it, because we have so many different businesses at the end of the day, that's what you need to know how to do. So um, I don't just oversee the, the four sports teams in Colorado. I oversee, in addition to that, the four venues that we have. We have two music venues, plus we have where the Avs and the Nuggets play, which is Ball Arena. And we also have the MLS Soccer Stadium, which is where the Rapids play. So 
there's a lot of different stuff that goes along with that. So as much as I love the sports aspect of it, I really actually probably consider myself a business attorney first. No, that's good. And, and I got I appreciate you sharing that because it's so important because it's not that you know, all the time that you get into sports and you're like, oh, I want to be a sports, you know, attorney. It's just sort of, sometimes it's just the way it works out. You know, um, you get, you get an end to an, you know, representing a client, you have an interest, something like that. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. And then Hakeem, let's go to you. How did you get your start? Um, and, and what are you currently working on uh, with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so initially I got my start from, an internship in law school with the University of Minnesota Athletic Compliance Department. Um, so going into law school, I kind of knew I wanted to work in sports. Um, initially, I thought I wanted to be a sports agent. I uh, think, think of the movie Jerry Maguire. I think that's <laughs> one of my favorite movies growing up. Uh, but then after doing some informational interviews with different sports agents, kind of figured that being a sports agent wouldn't be uh, best for my skill set. Um, and then after, after kind of coming to that realization, I pivoted from wanting to be an agent to wanting to work in-house, uh, either at a team or, or at a league um, in the sports industry. Um, so in law school, I had a few different internship opportunities, one with the University of Minnesota Athletic Compliance Department. Uh, that's where I went to law school. So that transition was pretty easy doing compliance work for the athletic uh, department there. Um, but then also I had some internships at NASCAR. Um, so I, I worked on their public and governmental affairs side, uh, where I worked on political and public policy issues for the organization, both um, at a state and local level. Um, and then I also had an internship in their legal department, uh, where I worked on a variety of projects uh, with and for attorneys, um, drafting contracts, uh, doing legal research, um, after I graduated law school, spent a couple of years kind of doing a, a 180, uh, went back to Minnesota and did uh, uh, work at the League of Minnesota Cities, uh, where I did local government work. Um, so a lot of policy uh, and, and providing guidance to cities there. Um, after about two years, I got a call um, for an opportunity back at NASCAR, uh, where I worked there for about three years. Uh, representing uh, a few of the racetracks that the company owned, uh, but then also doing some corporate legal work. Um, up until about a year ago now, uh, where I accepted the job with the Oklahoma City Thunder um, as Vice President of Corporate Legal. Um, and in my role now, I advise the club on a, a broad range of corporate legal matters, uh, whether it's IP, uh, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later, um, transactions, operational matters, um, doing pretty much all of the uh, drafting, reviewing, and negotiating for all of the contracts, uh, managing litigation, um, working closely with our HR department on labor and employment matters. Um, so kind of like a wide range of things, um, probably not too dissimilar from uh, Kirsten over at uh, Cronky Sports Entertainment. So um, that's my story. Well, Take it off back to you, <laughs> Thank you, Akeem. I appreciate that. And then we have another special guest with us, Zach Kurtz, who is uh, uh, another dear friend. And um, Zach is, you know, uh, I, I would think that Jen and Hakeem and Kirsten and I are, are kind of cool. We're, we're pretty cool. But Zach is probably like the coolest one in the group, uh, particularly because he's just cool in general. But then he also runs the sneaker law firm. Uh, particularly sneaker and streetwear legal services. Um, just a really good guy. And uh, so I'll, I'll uh, he's the CEO and founder at his firm. He's been doing it for about a decade. So uh, Zach, um, thanks for coming in and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of yourself and how you, how you got your start and what you're currently working on. No problem. First off, I apologize for being a little late. Thanks for having me, Jeremy and everyone. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Jeremy's being honest. He just says I'm cool because I'm tired of wearing suits and ties every day and stuff and just wear my t-shirts and say, hey, screw it. That's my attitude. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I really am just going to echo a lot of stuff that Hakeem and uh, Kirsten and Jen said. Uh, and I guess it's really just 
sort of what Jeremy said. I call myself a sneaker lawyer and sneaker lawyer, sports lawyer. To me, those are really all just branding. They sound cool and interesting. They make us want to do that. But eventually what we really are, are business lawyers or, mm -hmm. you know, IP lawyers, or, you know, it's really the kind of basic skills that you learn in law school. It's just a matter of where you apply that to. And uh, just feeding that into sort of my background is, uh, right out of law school, I thought I was special and cool, uh, just like Jeremy said. So I thought I was going to be that person who got that job at the NFL, my dream job, which the New York Jets right after law school. Uh, and I attended a million sports lawyers conferences and did networking and did everything. And I thought I was going to be different and get it. However, I did. Uh, I got an internship uh, and I just really just started building off of there. And my advisor really gave similar advice to, to what Hakeem and everyone else said, whereas uh, just go out and learn, you know, uh, you're always learning. That's why it's called the practice of law. So by going out there and taking those internships or, you know, those positions here and there, you're learning IP and you're learning business and you're learning this and you're learning that. And you're able to, to bring that to the table at your next job and whatever it may be. Uh, and that's sort of what I did in my background. I, uh, I had an internship, uh, I guess it was shortly after law school with uh, the NFLPA. And then I did some business work at the Small Business Administration. And after the NFLPA, one thing led to the next. And I uh, sort of dashed my dreams of being an agent, <laughs> similar to Hakeem. Uh, and it really just took me down the business track. And I worked in-house for a couple of software companies. Uh, then I started working for the Patreons and the Ebays and those kind of companies uh, all on the side while I was building up my own firm. And it was really just something that I was passionate about. I, uh, I wanted to continue in the sports field. And while I was working for the software companies, I just kept reaching out, making connections. And I think me and Hakeem even spoke when he was in law school. I remember that. <laughs> so uh, just building those connections while I'm getting my skills on the side. Uh, and eventually I was able to start what I call sneaker legal or sneaker and streetwear legal services. Uh, and it's really just something I'm passionate about, just using, you know, sneakers and streetwear just to bridge the gap and bring education to, you know, a community that's not really using it or hasn't really used it in the past. So yeah. it, it sounds cool and it's creative, but it's really just business law and IP for sneaker mm -hmm. companies and NFTs and stuff. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I guess the first question is, and this is going to be a broad one, and I'll leave this up to anybody that wants to answer it. Um, so what is intellectual property? I mean, what is, uh, what, what's the purpose of it? What does it include? Well, I'm happy to go. Thank you. Kirsten. So for Thank us, you. right. I, I mean, you know, you have it in, in various degrees. It's really part of your corporate assets, right? So what we're looking at when you look at the Denver Nuggets or the Colorado Avalanche, you know, our, our intellectual property for sure starts with our trademarks, right? The marks that everybody sees, not just the name, but also the logos that go along with it. I know Akeem's wearing his shirt. I've got one of my shirts on right here, right? That is part of um, the intellectual property for the company. So it's part of your corporate assets. And more important than anything, it is really your brand identity. And so what you want to do is protect that. And that's what intellectual property provides you an opportunity to do, whether it's through trademarks, copyrights, or all the other different variations there. That's really the bulk of it. And, and that's how, I mean, we obviously spend a lot of time on intellectual property across our different entities. It's a huge part of our practice. And more importantly, it's something that is part of the value of all of these sports entities. It's why people associate what they do, which is when they see a mark, they know what that means. Right. No, I love that. And that's probably one of the best explanations I've heard. So that, that, that was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm course. not an intellectual property attorney, so that's good. So thanks. <laughs> right. No, of course. Like what, what do they call us when, when we don't, what is it called? Soft IP or something? I, I've oh, heard that before. I call myself a master of nothing is what I like to call myself. <laughs> I love it's actually it. what I've learned here. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I hear you on that. Um, I, uh, I appreciate the explanation though. So I guess a follow-up question to, uh, to Jen and um, Hakeem and, and Zach is what are some of the ways that sort of, um, I guess we can sort of protect intellectual property. So like, and you sort of maybe give like specific examples. So like, I know like for you, Zach, you're representing and you're working in the sneaker and the streetwear space, right? So is it filing of trademarks? Is it, you know, uh, registering of copyrights? Um, 
Is it licensing through contracts? Maybe talk a little bit about that from each of your guys' perspectives. Yeah, I can talk a little about trademarks. Uh, to me, I like trademarks the best. Based on what you just said, soft IP or what they call soft IP is usually trademarks and copyrights. Patents are sort of in a whole different area. And I wish I could understand that area, but you have to take a whole new exam and it's really engineer kind of heavy. So my practice doesn't really uh, focus on that. I focus on the soft IP, as you mentioned. And the reason I like trademarks the best is because not only are they really, I guess, cheaper to do from a from business perspective uh, and they happen you know quicker but also the term on those is they last forever so tying this into business protection if you're able to get a trademark and do that process as long as you're using those marks those logos those slogans whatever they may be you could protect that you know and have that for whatever uh, an example a great example that i see in the sneaker world is is nike uh, previously what nike does for the shoes Previously, what we saw in the past is they'll take a shoe and they'll have a design patent for it. Uh, and as you know, design patents have a term. So they'll have a design for you know the Jordan 1 silhouette or Jordan 1 uh, 11 silhouette, whatever it may be. Uh, and they have 11 years of protection just for that. And then it expires. But now what we're seeing in the whole industry is they're taking trademarks or trade dress, which is traditionally, traditionally used for a sort of product or uh, what's called products and like packaging and such. And they're using that for shoes now. Uh, and I don't know why I could speculate because it's the term for, uh, you know, for whatever, but I really like trademarks in that. And it's a great way to, you know, protect a whole bunch of different aspects from product packaging uh, to silhouettes of shoes, to slogans, to names. So I'll, that's my spiel on trademarks. I'll let Hakeem. I love it. I love it. Hakeem <laughs> or Jen, what are your, thanks Zach for that. What are your thoughts on that in terms of uh, how do your, how do your companies, how do your groups sort of uh, protect your intellectual property? What are some kind of some processes you guys go through? Yeah, so I mean, kind of already mentioned that the number one is registering either the trademarks and copyrights, right? Um, after that, um, a, lot, a lot of things that we do, especially for, for trademarks and or copyrights, um, work for a higher contract language. So either, you know, if you're working with a third party designer to help on uh, a trademark or a marketing campaign, um, you'll have that work for hire uh, contract clause in there. Or if it's an employee, it'll be, you know, uh, stated within like a handbook or, or employment agreements that uh, the company and not the employee creating the IP actually owns the IP. Um, if someone's infringing on your trademarks, uh, something that we deal with frequently, uh, you'll send, depending on who it is, you might give them a call let them know that, hey, this is our logo. You can't use it for your business. Uh, or you might send a assist and cease letter. Um, similar if it's online, depending on the website, if it's, if it's you know, the big social media pages, whether it's YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you can do, for both copyright and trademarks on those websites, you can do what's called the DMCA, Digital Millennial uh, copyright Act takedown notice. Um, so essentially just putting the, the platform on notice saying like, hey, I have this Oklahoma City Thunder uh, trademark logo that's registered under our company name. We own this and we don't uh, approve or we didn't approve of uh, this account using it in uh, a certain way. So you would do that takedown notice to get, it, get that post removed. Uh, so I think those are some of the more frequent ways that we use to protect our IP. No, thanks for that, Hakeem. And then Jen, what about you in your space? Are you similar type of stuff or anything different? It, it is similar in the fact that we are definitely thinking about brand protection and also in a larger sense about brand identity. And, you know, what does the audience think when they see the G4 logo or the G4 channel on television. And so we're building that brand identity and association with the trademark. And that, you know, naturally drives what we're allowing our trademark to be associated with. And so we often work with various brands for uh, sponsorships and it's an ongoing relationship with the creative to figure out, you know, how to do something that works both with the partner and with who we are as a brand. Um, you know, and the other part is, I think, unique to where I'm at compared to some sports organizations is that we're also 
a production house. We produce our own content. And given the content that we produce, it requires a lot of use of, of a fair use. So we use a lot of things under fair use and it's understanding not only what is fair use legally, but also what our business is comfortable with. You know, we all understand how Disney is very protective of their own IP versus, you know, other studios or other game publishers, which might have different standards or, you know, different, you know, kind of business practices when it comes to what they will allow a network like G4 to use under fair use. We have a lot of relationships with, you know, game publishers. And so it's often working in, in tandem with each other and figuring out, okay, what, what's allowed? What can we do under, you know, what is often a, a no fee license? And so it's really living kind of in that gray area and figuring out, you know, what are we allowed to do and, and understanding, you know, how protective certain businesses are about their brand IP and their trademarks. No, I love that. And, and I appreciate you sharing that, Jen. And I, I wonder for, for all four of you, um, and maybe particularly on the team side, uh, so with you, Kirsten, and with you, Hakeem, what sort of licensing are you guys doing? So if you guys want to license your marks to somebody, if you're doing maybe uh, a television broadcast or if you're doing something like that, where does the licensing come into play, if at all, for you guys? We actually do. If, I mean, we, this just came up for us. If anybody's an NBA player, you'll know that you know we just had this with uh, uh, Joker is our, our uh, MVP. So we did have to go through a whole licensing agreement and component with respect to the fact that we produced a special team jersey, well, team shirt just for the MVP and the whole kind of award that went along with it, which all was in his home country, which is a little fascinating. I think the only one that's ever been that way. And what that involved was us making sure that we checked with the league. I mean, that's really the, the component when it comes to the major sports teams. While we own the individual licenses, they are administered through the league. So what you do have to do when you want to do anything, even an MVP jersey, or excuse me, an MVP shirt that is just for private production, we had to go through not only getting an agreement with um, the artist who created it, which was our license agreement, we had to then also go to the league and get approval for it. The league, as you can imagine, also has requirements with respect to production, which makes perfect sense because the league cares about what it is that we do. So it's not as simple as, hey, I want to do this one thing and it's really easy to go do. There's actually a lot of layers that go into it and a lot of work, even on something like what we had, which was a private release of an MVP t-shirt just for Nuggets staff and the, the MVP himself, but because of the fact that it obviously involved our marks, we had to go through the whole process for that. Right. No, and that makes sense. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with players associations and the league and how do you uh, sort of balance or license those rights. Hakeem, is it, you sort of had like a similar experience there too with, with the Thunder? Yeah, just because we're, we're both in the NBA family. So uh, anything uh, that we have to do with our, our IP, we have to make sure that it's uh, in accordance with the, the NBA uh, manual, operation manual, um, and any rules and regulations that the NBA puts out. Um, typically, too, like when, whenever we uh, license our um, logos or trademarks to um, our sponsors, uh, whether they're an official sponsor of the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, every time they use our marks, we want to make sure that we're approving it before it's actually out in the marketplace. Because if there's something wrong with it, whether it's uh, an outdated logo, an outdated color, uh, not the a right color, um, we can change that before it actually hits the marketplace here. So that's pretty much how it kind of goes. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks for that, Hakeem. And then Zach, anything different from your perspective, licensing wise? Where, like, how do you see licensing come into play in your space? Yeah, I think Kirsten and Hakeem hitting the nail on the head. It's really a big part, uh, but there's a lot of layers to it, just in regards to getting consent and approvals from everyone. Uh, and you know, the way I see it, just from a, a smaller brand side, is we're the ones going to these big organizations uh, like the, the NBA teams or the ability in order to get those approval. Uh, so. 
but I think, I think they hit the nail on the head. It's just really important. And I think that it's just a process and it's always better to get that started early because uh, of all the facets and different nuances involved. Right. And then I know like in your, in your side of the space, right. Cause you're dealing a lot with the international um, space, particularly in terms of sneakers. Right. And so um, particularly like with counterfeit goods or, um, or for example, I think what in China, it's a first, a first to file system versus a first in use system, um, which may cause some problems. Right. Has that kind of been your experience there too? Yeah. In regards to just the overall, everything you're right. China's a different, different world, uh, mm -hmm. just from, you know, applying and registering trademarks there, but also enforcing. So when you're making these licensing deals, that's definitely something to consider whether, you know, the location where it's going to be, the numbers, how many, and I mean, aside the, the normal aspects of brand dilution and that stuff, you want to make sure that you're getting the product in the right hands. So you're right. That's a, that's a, that's a big thing, especially in sneakers now. Right. It just seems like there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of copycats out there, people trying to replicate what's going on. Um, and in some sense, sometimes it, like the, the infringement maybe be, it might be innocent because it's like, well, I, I didn't know or whatever, but of course, uh, you know, intellectual property is, is strict liability, right? It's not whether you, you sort of had an intent, it's just, you did it, you know, like you're liable for it. Um, so uh, Jen, let's, let's go back to you. How has, and you're in such an interesting space with esports and production. Um, how has uh, social media kind of changed your role? Um, has it has it made it more difficult as an attorney? Um, you know, particularly if somebody releases something on social media or says something on social media, particularly with with a brand or with a trademark or does something that they're not supposed to. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that social media and your role and some of the difficulties that come across. Well, in one way, social media is a benefit to our company because we get instant response and we can immediately, you know, get a, some, at least some sense of, you know, how the audience is reacting to our content and to what we're, we're producing. It gives us that kind of preview before we actually get the numbers of, you know, what people like and what they don't like. Um, and, and it's also a way to interact with our audience. I think, especially as a network in the gaming space, you know, a lot of gamers and people in that space use Twitch and a lot of social media apps. And so they're used to that kind of immediate reaction and interaction. And so as, as a network in that space, we obviously have to be a part of that. We have our own, you know, Reddit thread um, or Reddit forum. I can't think of the correct word right now. Um, our own chat discord, you know, we're on Instagram. We have our own Twitch channel. We have a YouTube channel. And so there's that space and that footprint there for our audience to interact with us. And we also have giveaways and sweepstakes, you know, to, to encourage that, that kind of interaction, which our audience is very much used to. But on the other side of it, you know, we, we also have to hear the negative, you know, when you get that instant feedback, it's not always great. And so, you know, sometimes there is that negative feedback. Um, and there is that concern about, you know, how our content is being used. Uh, we do a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, brand integrations where, you know, a third party brand will come in and say, hey, we want to integrate into your show. And so we will have very specific provisions to give us social media approval over, you know, various social posts. And there are discussions about, you know, what is the content of that post? And making sure that from a brand safety standpoint, both both partners, you know, G4 and whoever we're partnering with is com comfortable with, you know, the content of the post and comfortable with where it's being posted and how it's being posted. You know, we don't want things taken out of context and creating implications that we're not comfortable with. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's a ongoing relationship. And I think, you know, G4 and a lot of business are trying to figure out how to best use, use it as a tool to our benefit and, you know, manage away as much as we can, some of the more negative aspects. Yeah, no, no, some really good points there, Jen. I mean, particularly with clearances and, and licensing and making sure um, things are approved beforehand. Um, so Kirsten, a similar type, uh, what, what sort of your experience with social media and in the business, has it made your job more difficult? Um, 
uh, is it sort of, yeah, g- give me, give me, g- give us some feedback on that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's petrifying. Honestly, <laughs> I find social media, the, probably the scariest part of our job. I, I, and I, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, you know, there's, there's so many issues. There are copyright music issues. If anybody is familiar with music rights, you know, that is a huge issue facing the sports industry right now, which is that, Uh, In order for you to be able to post on social media a song, you must have what's called a sync license. And that is an expensive one that you must go and negotiate individually. And that is what is required whenever you record a song to content. So that would be any of our social media posts. It could capture, even in our arenas, we have loud music playing. It's all popular songs. We all have every team, every sports team uh, that has an arena, any concert venue, they all have what are called public performance rights, which is why it is we can play music freely in any public setting. As soon as you capture it, you need a different license and a different right. And that has been something that's definitely facing anybody who's in social media right now, the sports industry is certainly facing this right now. Um, it's a problem. So yeah, I, I find this very scary. I also find it scary too, because you know you don't know who's going to post what they're going to post, making sure that it doesn't offend people, making sure that it doesn't include other people's marks. Um, we had a, a creator who had done an incredible job of wanting to put up our, the Colorado Avalanche are in the playoffs right now. They put together an incredible really creative uh, artistic meme that had not just the Colorado Avalanche as a really fun example. They also had the Colorado Rockies. They had the Denver Broncos. They had all these people trying to participate and, you know, basically wish us good luck. Well, back to your comment before, we need licenses to do that. We can't put the Denver Broncos jersey on these sites. We can't put the Colorado Rockies on these sites without reaching out to them ahead of time. And doing the same thing that we would expect and that Hakeem and I have done many times, which is usually when sponsors or other participants reach out to you, it's easy to give them a license. But if you don't have that, then you don't have the right to do that. So a long way of saying social media scares me because there's so much creativity. And in terms of making sure that intellectual property is protected, it's a little difficult from the legal side to make sure that your social media content providers who who knows where their experience is at are in fact complying with those things. So yeah, this actually gives me heartburn <laughs> often. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like the best of both worlds. On one hand, it's great. Cause like you said, it's so creative and it's like the greatest distribution platform ever created in that way. But it's also, um, it's also, also really crazy because you, it's really hard to monitor and it's immediate and everything else. So no, really appreciate they don't call the legal department in the middle and say, Hey, is that okay if I post this? Cause this looks really cool. They go to their buddy next door and go, doesn't this look cool? Let's post it. Right. So that's oh, the problem we run into is the quick call of take that down immediately. Right. <laughs> no, I agree. Oh that same problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh same yeah. With you, we have three sports teams, so they're the worst. <laughs> well, we have, we've had a, we've had a couple occasions where fans will do really cool things, but using third party IP. And so we love it. And the producers will be like, oh, we love this. This is super awesome. Can we put it on our show? And, you know, I'm like, well, we have to get the permissions. We have to get the licenses. And, you know, it's a, it's a risk management at, at, at that point and trying to figure out, you know, can, can we air it? Yeah. Um, but it? But it's difficult because I can understand the excitement that people have. But it's it's difficult because not everybody understands all of the, you know, as was mentioned before, all the various layers and licenses that, we would have to get. Um, so it's, it's tough. Yeah, no, I agree. That's uh, I appreciate you both sharing that. Hakeem, have you had similar experiences with the thunder in terms of uh, social media and, and what are, what are some of the best practices or some of the concerns that have come out of your experiences? Yeah, no, I hundred percent echo what, what um, everyone's saying right now, especially when it comes to using music on social media, um, I think just just within the last two weeks, um, our team is, is putting out a film in, in June um, about our uh, Thunder Fellows program, which is like an after-school program for students in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma here. 
And um, as part of uh, kind of pumping that up, we released a trailer. And part of that trailer was music. So it's like I had to work for a couple of weeks to get that music cleared, um, not just for the trailer, but then for the actual film itself. Um, so all, all of that takes a lot of time um, and effort to actually finish off in, into the actual finished project. Um, but yeah, I mean, best practices is just trying to educate your clients as best as possible. Um, and, 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 you know, cross your fingers and, and hope no one accidentally posts anything that they shouldn't be posting. And if they do, hopefully you catch it, you can take it down and kind of go through that, those steps to, um, kind of fix whatever the issue is. Yeah. No, thanks, Akeem. Uh, Zach, similar type uh, process for you and your clients and, and, and what you sort of advise them or some of the experiences you've had with social media. I guess maybe the NFT piece there could be interesting for you too, right? With social media. Yeah, it's a good segue into that. But uh, I guess I, I definitely agree with what everyone else is saying. I think that it's, it's really interesting with Instagram and just with social media in general bring to, to everyone. Uh, it sort of just makes our job as lawyers a little more diff, a little difficult uh, just because we're having to explain what these copyrights and trademarks are to people. And there's all these, uh, there's all these people, all these assumptions out there. And I think the biggest one that I don't like is people think they could repost anything if they give someone credit, uh, you know, so it really makes our job, all of us on here shaking our heads, a lot more important to educate not only the class like you have here, but also the, our NBA players and our athletes and our gamers and stuff just in it's more work for us just to say, Hey, we love you guys, but don't do this or don't do that. Otherwise it's going to be making, making us have more work next month or next year. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, even in like my uh, in-house role, I, it's interesting. I think one of the best things that we do is we have templates for everything. So it's like, here's a template for a license. Here's a template for a consent and release. I think Kirsten, you talked about that earlier. Uh, those templates seem to help, um, you know, a lot. So, um, you know, you four have been amazing and I want to, I want to close on, uh, and very informative and I want to close on a couple, uh, more lighthearted questions, or I hope they're lighthearted. So maybe Jen, starting with you, what's maybe like a story from stories from the trenches? What's something that maybe, you know, we've, you know, in terms of, uh, an antidote maybe that you've learned or, a lesson learned or, um, or maybe even something where you got into your job and you didn't expect that you're going to be working on something, but then, you know, something opened up or changed for you. Well, I, I have, I have two stories. One, I'll, I'll try to be quick, but one lesson I learned early on in house is really how do I answer the questions that I'm given from producers? And so in this situation, it was literally my first week at the job. I was just two years out of law school. So I was very, very junior. And they, the, the producer sent me a clip that showed like, let's have this clip from Batman. Let's have this clip from Star Wars. And they were going to Photoshop themselves onto. And so, you know, as a lawyer, you're like, oh my gosh, there's all this like third party content and licenses that we don't have. And the show is in two days, so we can't do this. And it, it really created this, you know, snowball effect of, of the producers just really really being upset and afterwards I was lucky enough the head of production said hey you know Jen made the right call you guys weren't happy about it but th but that was the right call and since then I've, I've learned that you know the answer isn't always to say no but to propose pr propose an alternative I may know the alternative may not work but it's much better to give the, or the producers or the people who are in charge of the content the various options of, hey, we can't do it this way, but here are the alternatives that work. And, you know, sometimes they are, you know, they're producers, so they're very creative and they can figure out something that works in that alternative. And sometimes they, you know, realize that there's all these hurdles in front of them and they just can't get it done. And so they say, okay, no, we're going to move on. And, and doing something like that both educates the people that you're working with so that the next time they pitch you something, they get, they, they're, they're slowly starting to build an understanding of, you know, what it is that the lawyer is looking for and what are the issues that I'm, I'm going to see. And so long-term that builds a much better working relationship and it's much less contentious. Um, so, and no, then, and then in production, I get, I get crazy, crazy requests every week. 
You know, we have we have a bearded lizard. So one of the first things I had to do was clear the name for our bearded lizard that we have. Oh, that's classic. As a, it's kind of a network pet. I love it. What's the name? Or right, can you say? So technically, her name is Gexmantha. <laughs> um, you know, it. there there may be a, a video game from the '90s with a lizard name, Gex. <laughs> I love it. And that's all I will say. All right. <laughs> cool. I, I think the lawyers can make the connection. <laughs> nice. how we got to get Samantha. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and then what well, you said, you had a second story. Well, that was the second story. Oh, I, tra- cool. I tried to make right. it very, cool. very quick, but I love it. You know. um, yeah. I often like to say, like when people ask me, what's the legal department in-house counsel? And I say, we're the department of yes, but so it's like, yes, yes, we can do it, but you have to change this or change that or take this approach. So I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. And then Kirsten, how about you? Um, you know, same question, maybe a, an antidote or a funny story or, or a lesson learned in your career. Well, I don't know that I have that. I should find some more funny stories. Um, <laughs> but I think what I've learned, I mean, everybody asks me, how do I get into sports law? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I think the thing that I would say back, particularly because I'm not an example of someone who came from sports law, and I know I have a pretty great opportunity. Obviously, I love where I'm at right now. And I think the thing that I would say, particularly for people who are looking for their future and what it is they're most interested in, I would be less concerned about the end place you end up, whether it's where any of us are. I would be more concerned, and I think you heard it from all of us, about how is it that you can learn how to be a professional and do good work. I am not sitting here because I'm a good sports attorney. I'm learning how to be a good sports attorney. Like I said, I'm the master of none. I, I used to be in house or outside counsel and used to be at a law firm. And I have a very particular expertise. Fortunately for me, it happens to fit with my ownership group, which is business, corporate, real estate, and land development. Um, but that's not why I'm here. I mean, I'm here because I did good work. And so that's the most important thing I think I could say to anybody who's looking at just because you have the end objective to get somewhere. And I think a couple of us have all said that, you know, you kind of, your, your career can take a lot of paths. And the only thing that matters at the end of the day really is if you do good work and if you do good work, all the opportunities that you want will come your way. I agree. You know, good advice, good advice. Hakeem. And then uh, Zach, we'll, we'll close with you. Any, any, any uh, thoughts for us? Same question. Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely echo those, both of those sentiments too. Um, I would say like also like a, a lesson I learned early on, um, not even as a lawyer, just early on, you know, working as a, as a cashier at JC Penney's in, in high school, right? Like, like whenever you make a mistake, especially as an attorney, like you think you have to be perfect and everything has to be perfect. Like when you, when you make a mistake and you realize it, just tell your client right away, tell your manager, like you're not, like no one's going to get like mad at you, right? Um, so I would say like, first, like admit that you made the mistake. Um, I, actually I would say first, like figure out how to fix your mistake if you can, and then tell your client the issue and then also the solution or, or the different alternatives, uh, like Jen had mentioned. Um, and then obviously like learning from that mistake so it doesn't happen again or, or too often. So I think, I think learned that early on kind of carried me through, um, all of my stops along the way. Oh, thanks, Akeem, for that. Uh, good advice. And then, Zach, uh, any parting thoughts for us in terms of, uh, you know, um, sort of interesting lessons learned that you've had or funny stories or anything? Yeah, I'll, th- I'll sort of take a little bit from everyone here and just uh, give an example or not an example, just uh, something that I think we could continue working on because uh, everyone comes up and asks all of us at all the sports law events and such how do I get to where, where you are you know what kind of advice can I give you and I think just like everyone up here did in regards to just being passionate about what you do and uh, you know if you have your dream to work for whatever team it is uh, you know just keep working every single day until you get there and then listening to, to all the cons you know what the criticism that people say and you know don't put your head down and, and don't forget about your goal because no matter what you are, if you're passionate about it, 
you're going to end up getting there, you know, and you'll find different roads in different ways. But I feel like everybody I know in the Sports Lawyer Association or just in general, uh, you know, who's passionate about what they're doing, they either pivot to what they're more passionate about or they find their way. So just make sure that you continue to do that. And I'm picking on Hakeem here, but Hakeem, he's a great example of it. I remember when he was a law student, literally just like you, you guys here just asking for advice and sitting on panels like this. And, you know, now here he is working for the OKC Thunder. So it's impressive. And, you know, he just continued and just worked his way up and brought all that experience that, that Kirsten was talking about. So I think that's really just what you guys should be doing just with everything. And uh, if someone asks you to do something, don't say no, you know, uh, say yes, learn from it, keep going. If you mess up, do what Akeem said, you know, tell them and, and fix it. And then eventually that's really the best way to, to network and make friends and make people who eventually will bring you up to, to a position that they have in whatever organization. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The check is in the mail, Zach. <laughs> Thank you for all the kind words. Hey, he's going to need a license agreement for that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love it. All right. Well, um, Jen and, and Kirsten and Hakeem and Zach, you've all been fantastic and just really appreciate your, your guys' time tonight. All right, folks, thanks again for listening in. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. Always appreciate you uh, listening in and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. Look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much, and happy Memorial Day to everybody. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.